Well, if you have your Bible, if you'll open to the gospel, not the gospel, well, it is a gospel, but don't call it the book of Acts. Actually, there's more gospel in the book of Acts than uh, many churches will hear preached on any Sunday, but the book of Acts is where we're going to be tonight. And, you know, I've, I turned in the, uh, the little outline earlier today, uh, and what I want you to do, let's just take the outline because we, we have space to write under it, but I, as I continue to work on it, I thought, I think what I'll do tonight, I think we'll just fill in the outline and get that done because really everything else kind of builds on that. So if you'll just look, um, we, we're talking about tonight, do what you can. And I think when we leave here tonight, those little, those little words will take on a very personal meaning, hopefully for all of us. But on the little number one, j- just jot down the word greatest need. In other words, as we're about to read a story, we're going to see Peter and John looking at a man that uh, was born lame, unable to walk. We learn in the very next chapter, I'll show you the verse in a moment, that this guy was over 40 years old. So for 40 plus years, this guy has been unable to walk. And uh, Peter and John come, and we'll talk about that as we read the scripture. But uh, I think one of the great lessons is see the see see. Uh, See the, see the greatest need. Is there a PowerPoint on that? Did we have that? No. Well, that's okay. Uh, there we go. The people woke up that run, run that. Very good. Very good. And, and then on this number two, write down, uh, do what you can with the material and physical need, and then do what you can with the greater need. And so that's kind of where we are tonight. We're going to be kind of building on that. And I think maybe if we have that out front, it will help us in a very special way. So we have it all down. We have it all down. Now, I think there'll be some other things you want to jot down as we go along. But, you know, as we think about our life, and I know we don't sit around thinking about, you know, when my life is over, like, and and, and what will I have ever accomplished? Now, Nobody's going to raise their hand, but I think of that from time to time and probably need to think about it more. But, you know, when our life is over, and it will be, like what will we have accomplished in our life? Well, that's a sermon for another time, but let me say this about that. I can assure you that whatever we accomplish in this life will be related to some degree on how we saw our opportunities and seized them, did something with them. In other words, take advantage of our opportunities. In life, we all, we all know this, there, there, opportunities come, many times we don't see them. At other times, opportunities come and we do see them, but we don't do anything about them. We ignore them, we decide I'll pass. But then there are many times that opportunities do come, and we do see them, and we do take advantage. So my little thought is a very, very good thought. When, when our life is over, whatever we really have accomplished in our whole life will have a great deal to do with the opportunities that came our way that we did something with those opportunities. Now, having said that, I want to deal with that just a moment before we get into the scriptures. I was thinking about that today, uh, thinking about what we're going to be looking tonight. You know, all of us, as you look back 
on life and you look at different opportunities that you've had along the way. I don't think there'd be any of us that would not say, you know, I should have taken advantage of that opportunity and, you know, that, but it's too late now and I should have taken advantage of that. And what that can do, it can just absolutely paralyze a person, especially a very sincere person. I, I've seen more than one time strong men, I'm talking about men's men, just sit down and talk to me and weep about the opportunities they missed to be a good father. Time and again, they'll say, you know, back when I had an opportunity to do this and that, I was, I just, I was busy doing other things. They were not bad things, but, you know, and not, not only that, but um, I, I've seen numbers of other people as they come near the end of life, they just are overwhelmed with guilt about opportunities that they did not take advantage. Now, I hope none of us are, you know, in depression over a thing like that, but, you know, I look back on my life and I'm not going to confess up to all my <laughs> opportunities I missed. Of course, the frightening thing, how many opportunities did I miss? I don't even know I missed. Same for you. But, you know, you look back on this opportunity and you didn't take advantage and I didn't take advantage, da, da, da. You know, what do we do with this? That, that, that's a, you know, what can we do about it now? That was then and this is now. Well, I don't think it's the good question to say, what can we do about it now? I think the better question is say, what should we do about it now? And I'm just kind of giving you a little extra something here before we get into our Bible study. I want to encourage you. Remember this, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you begin to condemn yourself, and it may be you're, you're dealing with some real opportunities that you look back on and say, I saw it and I, I, I didn't do anything. Well, there comes a point out there, you can't go back, can't re-raise re the kids, for example, or you can't do this, that, or what. But here's what we do. Here's what the Bible would teach you to do. First of all, just ask God's forgiveness. That's the, that's the scriptural thing to do. Number two, accept God's forgiveness. And yet, at the very same time, understand that there are consequences to our decisions. Now, sometimes a an opportunity, maybe, maybe the consequence is not a big deal. But other times, a missed opportunity, <laughs> later on, the consequences to that are a big deal. So even though we confess our sin of not taking advantage of an opportunity that we know we should have, we ask God's forgiveness. The Bible is very clear about that. If we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Then we accept God's forgiveness. We don't wallow in that guilt. That's what Satan wants us to do. And then we understand that, yep, I've confessed it. I've accepted God's forgiveness. I know I'm forgiven, but uh, that doesn't delete uh, perhaps some of the circumstances, and we want to move on forward. Now, one opportunity I can assure you, I think, all of us, have missed time and again is the opportunity to share or say something about Jesus Christ. Really. I, I, 
Well, I won't go there on that. May come back. And, and I don't say that to beat us up. We just have so many opportunities in life to, to share about God, to share Christ, tell some way God's helped you, just to get God in the conversation. That'd be about the lowest common denominator. And, and yet, when we do that, uh, we, we need some guidance. So our scripture tonight is a great, great scripture passage and one of the great chapters in the book of Acts. So look with me in Acts chapter 3 and let's see an opportunity that Peter and John had uh, to share Christ and, and see what we can learn from this very opportunity. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, uh, let me begin reading. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, very simply, this is, this is just part of their everyday life. You know, you might want to jot this little verse down, but in Psalm chapter 55, in verse 17, Psalm 55, verse 17, it's very, very clear, and the Jewish people, very, very, if they're, if they're uh, Orthodox Jewish people, they're very serious about this, the Jewish people pray three times a day, and if they can, they go to the place of worship to pray three times a day. You know, the Jewish day begins at 6 a.m. That's the beginning of the Jewish day. And so uh, when we read here in this, about to go on the ninth hour, well, that would be at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. If you have an NIV, it'll probably say it that way. So they would pray at 9, they would pray again at noon, and they would pray again at 3 o'clock. So, you know, we look at this, and here Peter and John, they go going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. In other words, we'd just say it this way, they're just kind of going to church. It's just their everyday life. Now, that means every Jew, three times a day, is going to go to the temple to pray in this day. But it does mean that the Orthodox Jews know about what Psalm 55, verse 17 says, uh, morning, noon, and afternoon. And so this is an everyday situation. And as they get to the temple to pray, it says a certain lame man from his mother's womb, in other words, he's born this way, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Now, hold your place where we are, but turn over to chapter 4, if you will. And you might want to just mark this verse. But in chapter 4, in verse 22, we learn that this man was over 40 years old, whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Now, we've never gotten to the miracle yet, but I want you to get this picture. Here's a guy at least 40 years of age. It says over 40. And he's been this way his whole life, which I would think would say he probably figured he'd be this way the rest of his life. He's been this way his whole life. And uh, so they take him to this gate, beautiful. Now, the temple there, uh, it had these, of course, you, we, we always hear about the Holy of Holies. That's the most holy part of the temple. But at the entrance of the temple, there was a gate, and it's called Gate Beautiful. And the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, they, they could not go inside, but they could stay on this side of the gate. That was called the court of the Gentiles. Now, this gate, beautiful, which would be like the front door of a church, the front door of the, the entrance, let's say it that way. 
here's this gate, beautiful, and when you open this gate, you have a court, and this is the court of women. That's how the, the you know, it, it's all laid out like God wanted. They had an area that they were to go, and they even had some upper levels so they could look in and see the different things were going on. So here this guy is. He's at this gate. They've just got him kind of at the front door of the church. Now, of course, Peter and John are believers. We'd say it this way, they're Christians. But understand that when the people became a believer in Jesus Christ, when the Jewish people became Christians, believers, they didn't exactly immediately forsake all their Judaism ways. It's not like Peter and John have have quit being a Christian, but you just have to understand that that some of the things that they did in their Jewish worship, this was like a period of transition. You see, the church, the church was born back in Acts chapter 2. Well, we're over now in Acts chapter 3, and they're believers. They're Christians. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. But this transition period from Judaism, and there they are at Gate Beautiful. And, and so when they get there, they find this man. He's been placed there. The Bible says to ask alms. That means uh, a donation. You and I would say it this way, a donation of money. It really makes sense. You'd think, you know, if somebody was going to hit people up for money, they'd just go to the front door of the church. And uh, as people come down to the church, and here these people are needing help, say, well, what better place could you be in the front door of the church? Surely these people will, will help us. And so that's kind of where this guy had been placed. And uh, uh, let, let me pause on that and say, we have ways of helping people in our church. Uh, but one of those ways is not for people to be out asking our members anywhere on our property, would you give me money? And I want to encourage you, don't do that. Don't do that. You, you, you direct them to a minister or you direct them to the whoever, an usher would know what to do. And, and we have a system because that kind of thing can be a very frightening thing. That kind of thing can be a very unsafe thing. And what we've learned, if people go through the system, we find out who the needy ones are versus those that are not honest is the best way I could say that. So, but this is a whole different time in the world here. And so this guy's doing uh, the very reasonable thing to do. Now, uh, the, the point that I want to make, and I wish you'd just kind of jot this down because in the space that you have, uh, our everyday life, as I just look at this and I think about, here go Peter and John at the temple. They're going up to pray. And here's this guy needing help. Needs, he, he's, he, just, he needs a gift to help him with his needs of his life. It was just the everyday life of Peter and John. And here's, here's a lesson, and we'll develop it. Our everyday life is our mission field. Like your everyday life is, is your mission field. And if somehow that one truth could could connect to everyone who says they are Christian. And people understand that as they just go through their everyday life, 
We'll all be in different places, but the places that we are, those are places they have, they are our mission field. And so for Peter and John, they were going to pray, but now when they get there to pray, they find their mission field. Now, some are going to be like Paul. They're going to plant. Others are going to be like Apollos. They're going to water. But, and, and some of us, sometimes we plant and somebody else will come along and water. Maybe we'll go into a situation, somebody else has been planting the seeds and we're out in our everyday life and something comes up and we say, you know what? I think the seed's been planted. So now I can water. Dottie and I, this past, I think it was Thursday afternoon, um, I don't remember what all got involved in it, but somehow we're doing our very best to, to cut out drinking so many. In fact, we need to cut out any, but th- these diet colas, you know. Now, I'm not saying you should not do that, and I'm not saying we hadn't, we don't make a hundred, but we're really doing good. But anyway, Thursday afternoon, I, it was about the latter part of the afternoon, hot, or oh, so hot, and I think I'm the one, I'll confess because she's sitting there uh, I think I'm the one who said would you like we the one way to not do it is just don't have them in the house that's the first thing but the problem is they're at McDonald's and all these other places so I said why don't we I said we've not had a Diet Coke in almost two weeks I said why don't we go down to McDonald's and you know you can get one of those things like for a dollar big old belly washer thing and uh, and well I bought her her own we didn't drink out the same cup we get shit but anyway, we, we just go out to McDonald's, and we, we, in that time of afternoon late, really weren't many. It was a long time in McDonald's, and there aren't many of those, but it was. And so we got our little Diet Cokes, and we went over and got in a booth. We were just having conversation about, I was telling her what all I'd been doing that day and what all yet we had to do, and da da da, and she was doing the same thing. Well, as we went away from getting our Diet Coke we, we, to go to our little booth, I looked and saw one of our dear good members, and I have his permission. I was going to tell this story without mentioning his name. Interesting how God works things out. One, one of the families that I prayed for today, I pray for, you know, three families a day, and then I have another thing too, but, but it happened to be this family. And so I'm, I'm praying this afternoon over this family. But when I turned the page and saw them, I thought, nah, I'm using him tonight as an illustration. And I thought, I wonder would he let me tell his name. And I thought about that a little bit, and I thought, well, I bet I know how I can know. I'll call him. <laughs> you know, I'm just like the Secret Service. I'm going to look up. So I called, and I said to him, I said, is this, this is a pastor. Is this a bad time? Called him on his cell. He said, no, I've just come in from work. You couldn't have called at a better time. And I said, well, this is your prayer day. That's really not why I've called you. But it's interesting. <laughs> this is the day I'm assigned to pray for you and your wife today. And uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But I said, actually, that's not why I called you. I said, I'm calling you. And I told him the situation. I said, what happened with you last Thursday afternoon is going to be in my sermon tonight, and I'd like to use your name. Would you please let me use your name? He's a very humble man, and I, I didn't know. He said, well, Pastor, if you think that would be a good thing to do, 
I wanted to say if I didn't think that's a good thing to do, I wouldn't have called you on the phone. But I'm not going to say a thing like that. He said, but he, he said, well, if, if you want to, but uh, please don't make people think that I wanted that. I said, no, 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 I just think it'll make it alive. Now, most of us who've been around here a while know Gene and Janet Wheeler. Gene, Janet Wheeler. Faithful, behind-the-scenes people, but faithful as the Rock of Gibraltar. Well, we're in McDonald's enjoying our Diet Coke that we shouldn't be drinking. And, and uh, you know, at our age, I don't really know that it matters. Have you ever thought about that? I, you know, I mean, you know, like if, if I don't make it to Lamar, I'm not exactly snuffed out in life. I mean, you know, but anyway, uh, he was eating things he shouldn't have been eating, by the way, too. And I, I, but that's between, you know, it's not my business. But I, I noticed what he had on his plate, and I thought he shouldn't be eating any of that. But he was eating it. And what was so, and I was wanting to eat it, and he looked like he was enjoying it. You know? But anyway, he we spoke, but we went to our little booth and sat down. And he just finished eating, and he was very very polite. He just was throwing his stuff away to leave, and he kind of walked over our things and just said, you know, something. And I said, boy, is this a, like, is this a, a late lunch? Is this an early dinner? I said, what kind of time of day is it? He said, well, I got off work late, and I had not had lunch, and so I came. And we just went more late. And I don't know how this conversation started, but he shared two things with me that just, and with Dottie as well, that was, it was, it was worth the sin of drinking the Diet Coke. Okay. I don't know how we got into it. He said, you know, he said, I work at a, at a law office. He said, in fact, I'm kind of semi-retired. He said, I only work X number of hours a week. He used to work full time. But he said, actually, I still am working there in a reduced way. And, and he said, I'm kind of doing a little bit of what I used to do. He said, if you only know the real truth about it, I'm kind of like the receptionist. I'm not the only one, but he said, you know, I just tell you what. He said, it's such a wonderful thing. He said, I have a good number of John's booklets just laid out on the table. And as people come in, I don't force the books on them. But he said, just while they're waiting to see the attorney and all things or conversation. And he said, some of them I know. And I'll say, you know. I've got this booklet here that I think, he said, I just, I'm just doing what I can with it. But he said, that's, that's just a little ministry kind of that I feel like God's given me. And I thought, well, I can't wait to tell John that. That'd be so encouraging. And then in the midst of that, he said, you know, he said, I sit in a certain, he's an usher. And he said, I sit, he said, I have a section where I sit. That's my section to usher. Now, I never would have thought of what he's about to share with me now. He said, you know, when you sit in a section and people come that you don't normally see, you know they probably are visitors. Because even though I might know everybody's name, I recognize people in my section. And he said, but what I do, he said, you know, on Sunday when you give the invitation for people to be saved, or when John gives the invitation to be saved, whichever, he said, God just put this on my heart. It's just something I can do. I just bow my head and pray for people in my section. 
Now, folks, that just touched my heart. I thought I had not a clue. Now, I asked the whole church. I asked many times, let's all bow and pray. But here, here's a, I have no I, Others may be doing the same thing. But, and he said, but you know, that's just a little something I can do. And, and then he said, you know, Janet's still working. I'm kind of working reduced work. And he said, you know, we, he said, of course, we've always tithed. He said, but we, we give us a little extra to the radio ministry as we can. And the little conversation. And then here was, here was the sweetest part. He just kind of was about to walk away and he said, had a little smile, a humble smile on his face. And he said, you know, I just do what I can. And he walked away. And that, that, that thing, Dottie used this. I think some of it in your Sunday school lesson, Sunday, she didn't call his name, but I, I thought, Hey, Gene Wheeler just said something really good. He said, well, I just kind of do what I can. He just do it again. Little booklets. Prays for people in his section at imitation time. Kind of as he can. Gives a lecture for the radio ministry. But he said that like, I, you know, I can't do a lot. I just do kind of what I can. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, I was thinking about that when I got into this Acts chapter 3, and I thought to myself, man, old Peter and John, <laughs> they got there and they saw a need. Now, of course, this man, what he wanted, let's read on in verse 3. Uh, Peter and John, about to go to the temple, the man asked for alms, verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him with John... Peter said, look at us. Can you imagine? That guy thought, man, they're fixing to give me some help. I'm, in, I need this, I'm glad they came. And then in verse 5, so he gave them, this is the lame man, his attention, expect to receive something from them. Then Peter said, now here's bad news for this guy, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. Now look what he does. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, he told the guy to do the one thing the guy couldn't do. Guys never walk. Verse 7 says, he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, he's done all this in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Verse 8 says, so he, the man, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. And now here's something interesting, verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. They'd seen him all these years, couldn't walk a bit. Now there they are. Verse 10 says, then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now look in verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to join them in the porch, which is called Solomon's. That just was part of the temple, just a huge area called Solomon's porch. And then look at this in verse 12. When Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Now, question, what is 
quote it. In verse number 12, it says, when Peter saw it. Well, what is it? Like you look at that and you say, well, it, it, is it the man who was healed? Answer, no. The people that all ran, no. Partially, maybe, but actually, no. The it, oh, Peter saw this porch. Here are all these people on this porch. And he saw an opportunity to share Christ. And he sees the opportunity. See, just, just his old everyday life. He didn't go up to preach a sermon. He went up to pray his everyday life. But he gets up there. And here's a guy with a need. And the need's a real need. But the guy had a greater need. And what Peter saw, he saw this porch. Peter and John had what I'm going to call a porch opportunity. Remember, I wrote my little paragraph a couple of weeks ago about using our bench moments, like wherever you are, in the park, wherever it might be. It could be anywhere. Well, this was kind of their porch moment. And the Bible says a very interesting thing. It says, and many of these believers, many of these believed, over in, over in chapter 4, if you look, we'll fast forward a little bit, it says, however, many of those who heard the word believed, now, that means many didn't believe, but many did believe, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. How did all this happen? Peter and John saw an opportunity, and of course, we can read all these verses. We'll read a little of them. It says, when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. And he said, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this or through why it looks so intent at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? And then he begins to tell how it all takes place by God. And down in verse 19, he says, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord Christ. And he goes on, and we'll not read all of that. Now, you know the situation, though. They get arrested. It's some of the most interesting scripture you can imagine. They, 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 they arrest them, and we come down to chapter number four, and we get into that. And as we think about it, we just remember our everyday life is our mission field. We must believe this and then seize that because it's critical for Christianity. But now, he also had a Sanhedrin opportunity. Now, <laughs> he's arrested, and uh, they, they put him on trial. And we read about that. In fact, if you look down in, uh, look in uh, Acts chapter 4, it tells you down verse 3, they laid their hands on them, put them in custody. They put them in jail until the next day. And however, many of those who heard, of course, believed. But look in verse 5. Now, they're, they're, they're not on Solomon's porch now. It came to pass on the next day that the rulers and the elders and the scribes, and it gives all this information as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, uh, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, they all gathered together. So we've got the Sanhedrin here. It's like the Jewish Supreme Court. And then verse 8 tells us, uh, they asked, by, they set them before the midst. They said, by what power or by what name have you done this? And then you know the story. You've read it before. Verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he unloads on this group, 
Unbelievably so. This was his Sanhedrin opportunity. So here, here's a point. It's a good point. The, the future of the Christian church, the future of the Christian church, the future of the body of believers is going to be somehow, some way, that the body of believers is going to have to see <laughs> that as they live their everyday life, wherever they go, that is their mission field. Because so few non-believers go to any Christian church to hear the gospel. Maybe a funeral, no gospel, but perhaps good. Wedding, I'm not talking about funerals and weddings. I'm talking about, they, the statistics tell us less than 2% of everybody that goes to church on any given Sunday, less than 2% of those are, are, are not Christians. Now, who knows how many folks that think they are Christians that aren't, but we'll just assume everybody that thinks they are is. That's how that survey is made. Think about that a moment. We come in here on Sunday, all a bunch of people, be just a little small, small group of people here that need to be saved. Now, maybe others need assurance. Others need to get serious and quit being a casual Christian, various things, maybe come from baptism, whatever. But the point is this, they're out yonder in everyday life. <laughs> they're where you go. They're where I go. Uh, they're where I hope those thousand Spanish New Testaments are going, have gone, plant that seed, the Holy Spirit will bring that harvest. But it's such a beautiful, wonderful thing. And, and the whole deal is, the lesson is, is that our everyday life is our mission field. And if we, if that can ever register, and just like what Gene said, Gene Wheeler, you just do what you can. That doesn't mean that as we go through our everyday life, everybody we see, we're going to present the four spiritual laws or, or say, hey, I want to tell you how to be saved. That's just, that's just not probably the way the Holy Spirit most of the time works. My word on that would be, you just follow whatever the Spirit puts in your heart. Because the devil will put in your heart, don't say anything right now, you know, there'll be a, you know, whatever. But I've just learned, if, if the Holy Spirit puts something in my heart, I had an interesting thing happen to me um, when I was in one of these homes I was in this week. There's a man there, not a member of our church, not a member of any church, I've known the man a long time. I think maybe in all my years here, he maybe has come to Tuesday Bible lunch two times, maybe three, perhaps. Uh, John knows him better than I do for reasons. But be that as it may, somebody told me he was going to be in his home where I was going to be. And I visited my members first and going out, I thought, now I'm going to go by his room and I don't know how well you know, I don't know how this is going to work out. He probably, he'll be nice, but I doubt he's going to cheer when the preacher comes in. Uh, I go in, and it startled him, just startled him. And he said, oh, I'm so glad you stopped to see me. And we chatted a few minutes, and I felt like the Spirit saying to me, you need to you know, you need to talk to him about his soul. 
And you've ever been one of those things where you try to really figure out what you need to do? Like, I didn't want him to think, now, like, I've not been to see this guy in his home or where he is ever. I mean, he's, he, I just haven't. Um, now, I've invited him to church, et cetera. But just to march in a guy's room, he's kind of captive in his bed. He can't get up and say, I thought I'd come over here and pour the gospel in you. But anyway, had a visit. I said, well, let, let, you mind if I pray with you? Oh, no. And he took my hand. I was telling Daddy best when I got home. And I prayed a good prayer for his physical needs. That's what my prayer was about. And when I finished the prayer, I still thought I'd done the right thing, but I thought he was not ever going to turn loose of me. He just clung to me. And I felt led of God. I think this was a, I think I did the right thing. I, I, I'm not, you just sometimes don't know for sure. I said, look, I, I want to come back in a few days and we'll visit some more. He said, please do. I thought, wow, the doors are. Now I must go back pretty quickly. And I just think, so I, I share that to say, like, I don't know if I did right or wrong. I just followed my heart. But now I do know this. I need to follow up on what I did there. I'd hate, I'd hate something to happen to that man. And maybe, maybe he's a believer and I don't know it. I don't know about that. But it excited me so I called John that night about it to say, I visited so-and-so today. And I think that time may be right. So number one thing I'm saying to you is, um, just, just understand, wherever you go out there, you can just say a little word about God. Give them a try. Share something God's done for you. Ask them, is there anything I can do to pray for you? See, th this is so very important because if not, what we'll do, we'll meet these physical and material needs. Like we'll give them food and clothes, but nothing said about God. Say, well, are helping them. Well, if they're not saved, we're just going to help them be full on their way to hell. We're going to give them some clothes and whatever. And, but, and those things are valid things. But we just need to take the next step and, and say, look, I won't talk to you about it. Let me ask you, have you made peace with God? Do you feel like your soul's right? Or, this is so simple. Just say, is there anything I could pray for you? I've never asked anybody that question that didn't say, yeah, matter of fact. They may not go in great detail, family, whatever it might be. But it opens the door. The key, though, is just, and you know, it's interesting. They were going to church when they saw this guy. You know, remember this. Just because we come to church, here's the bottom line. Every one of us tonight has a need. Could I have an amen to that? See, don't think, well, I'm at church. Nobody at church has any needs. Ooh. I remember a professor in seminary used to say to us, of course, then we were young, he was old. He called us boys. He said, boys, remember this. He said, on every pew that you'll preach, there's always at least one broken heart. Don't ever forget that. That's that same professor that said one day, boys, Write this down. You'll need it. I thought it was going to be on a test. I got ready. 
He said every seven days is Sunday. You can have a birthday. You can take a day off. You can go to whatever you Every seven days. Now, that guy wasn't exactly right. Down here every seven days is Sunday and Tuesday and Wednesday. It's his all time. But what he was saying is you boys going to have to be prepared out there when you get out there because it keeps coming. On every pew, there's a broken heart. So I want to encourage you. At church, now at church, everybody looks happy all the time. Most people do. Now, some people are just grumpy all the time. But, <laughs> but most people at church don't. I mean, you know, people just smiling like everything's just great. You know, man alive, man. There's not a person in this room tonight. Maybe it's not you. Maybe your family. There's not, I don't believe there'd be a soul here tonight if we were to be just one-on-one. I said, look, you don't have to be personal, but is there anything I could pray for you? I, I guarantee you, you ask me that. I, I have needs. We all do. Everybody does. So don't be fooled by thinking. That's one of the reasons we come to church is to build up one another. Don't forsake the self-esteem of other believers. See, you come to church, you have an opportunity to be a blessing to people. And so church is our mission field. Out of church is our mission field. So I want to encourage you to do that. Now, just, I love what Gene Wheeler said. He just ended that conversation. said, I just do what I can. I just do what I can. I was thinking about that this afternoon. I thought, think what would happen if all of our church members just did what they could. You say, that's not realistic. You're right. It's not realistic. All of our church members all of no church's members are going to just do what they can. Some of them not going to do anything. But let's, let's get it where we are. Think what would happen. We can do this. Suppose you decided tonight, I'm just going to do what I can. I mean, we got enough of us here tonight. If, and see, we can do what we can. I can't control what a bunch of other folks don't do. I can encourage them, but here's what I can do. I can just do what I can, and you can do what you can. And if somehow that would catch on, I think we'd see something in God's church we've never even dreamed. Father, this is one great portion of Scripture to just think about because Satan would have us believe that we we really can't do much. But God, we can. We can do what we can. And Gene Wheeler's, I'll never forget the kindness and the humility that I saw in that dear man and the smile of just not pride, but the opposite, that, hey, I'm just one guy over in a little section, but I can pray for people at the invitation time. At work, I have an opportunity to give out your little booklets. He said, I just do what I can. Janet and I, we give extra to the radio ministry as we can. We just do what we can. And I thought, wow, I need to do that. I just need to do what I can. God, I can't do everything. I can't. I want to do more than I can. But I can do what I can. And my prayer tonight is is not for the multitudes that will never even think about it. God, I'm talking to the Wednesday night group here. If all of us just said, you know, I'm just going to do what I can. And we'd make that commitment. We might not even know what that is. That's okay. The 
Holy Spirit will show us what it is. We'll know. I can go back and pick up my conversation with that man. I can do that. I've got a car. I know how to get there. I know where his room is. I can do that. God help us do what we can, where we are, while we can, is my prayer in Jesus' name.